0: In the beginning of this week's Parsha, Parsha Shlach, we get the core condensed version of Musar. If you want to know what Musar is, frequently Musar is conflated as if it's a subject. It's a kind of Torah subject. It's ethics. It's philosophy. It's character. It's ethical refinement. It's personal perfection. And while that is true, it doesn't actually get to the absolute core of what Musar is. And when we see what it is, it expands dramatically beyond being limited to being a subject or an idea or a style. It's actually more, I would say, it's an attitude. It's a way of life. So let's give the backstory to the beginning of the Parsha and we'll go from there. Last week's Parsha ended with the Lashon Hara of Miriam. Miriam was uh, Moshe's sister, and she, a whole series of events that led to it, but she spoke out negatively about Moshe. She said, why is Moshe any better than us? He's a prophet, but we're prophets after all. The whole nation is prophets. Why is he any better than us? And of course, the Torah quickly points out that Moshe is better than them. Moshe is a different kind of prophet. So if we we want to talk about the... Different classifications of prophets, the different levels of prophet that Maimonides talks about at great length in the beginning of his book. That's where it started, where, where it talks about the difference, the core difference between Moshe's prophecy and the prophecy of all the other prophets. That aside, what happens to Miriam? So she gets called out with Aaron, and suddenly she is mitzoras, kashelit, she has Saras. she's whitened like uh like snow, and she gets sent out of the camp. For seven days, everyone has to wait for her. Even though it's time to travel, they have to wait for her because Miriam is wait, Miriam is quarantined outside of the camp for seven days. Everyone waits for seven days. This week's parasha begins with a story of the spies. Moshe sends 12 men, great leaders of the people, to go to Israel, scout out the land, find out the defenses, the vulnerabilities, the fortifications, look at the people, look at the agriculture, look at the land, find out about the land. You know why? Because we're about to go into Israel. Uh, they were under the impression they're going in right away. And therefore, let's see what the land is like before we come and attack it. Let's expose its vulnerabilities to know where it's uh, most weak, and therefore we could attack it. That's that's the idea. And of course, it goes horribly wrong. And as a result of the 40-day stouting excursion of the spies, the Jewish people, they receive the terrible, terrible news that they're going to have to spend 40 years, one year per day, in the wilderness and everyone's going to die. Everyone of this generation is going to die. And they're going to go into Israel after Moshe dies and after all the people of that generation are going to die and only their descendants are going to land of Israel. That's this piece But you look at an amazing Rashi, the first Rashi of this parsha, and it asks the critical question, why are these two stories juxtaposed? Says Rashi. Lafi, because, Al she was punished due to matters of evil speech why shadibra she spoke on her brother and these rishaim these wicked people ra'u they saw lakhu musar they saw and they didn't take musar this rashi is the critical idea of what Musser is, and by extension, and we're going to prove this, the core for all greatness and achievement and perfection that we could get in life. They saw something. They saw Miriam. She spoke negatively about her brother, mind you, her younger brother. And of course, there was no ill intent. Yet, her speech that was negative resulted in her being punished Immediately. And these, they see it, they see it for six days, seven days. Everyone's ready to go. Everyone has their badge packed. Why are we waiting? We're waiting for Miriam. And whoa, 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 what happened to Miriam? Well, she spoke negatively about her brother, and she's outside quarantined. What an embarrassment. Well, what'd she do? She spoke, she spoke negatively. Look at the consequences of negative speech. That's musr. But they didn't take it. What does it mean to take musr? What does it mean to take musur? It's musr musur, is right? It's 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 a lesson, right? The answer is what musr really is. The activity of musr is when you see something happening to someone else, when you encounter something that can be used as a lesson, you apply it to yourself. When they see Miriam, or when they should, they should have seen Miriam. Had they taken Musser, had they learned the lesson of Musser, they would have seen what happened to Miriam. She spoke negatively about her brother and she was punished. And they would have made sure that they're not going to speak negatively and be punished themselves. Musser is whatever you encounter, apply it inwardly. Take the lesson and internalize it. Find a way to integrate what you encounter, what you come across, and internalize it and change. Musar is not a kind of study. It's not like there's a, there, there's a, there's different bookshelves. There's the Musa bookshelf and there's the Torah bookshelf and then there's the uh, Kabbalah bookshelf. No, everything you read, everything you meet, there was no studying. Everything you see, everything you encounter, if you have Muster, if you have the attitude of Musar, you say, what does this mean for me? How do I make myself better because of what I saw? That is the core of Musar, and from that extends everything else. People like to talk about there's Torah and there's Musar. What Musar is is the keys to unlocking the power of Torah. It's not a sister subject. It's a methodology by which we take the power inherent in Torah and make use of it. If someone doesn't have Musar, then... They come to Torah and they can learn a lot of things, and their brain could be really dazzled with amazing lessons. But they don't actually have the gold. The gold is where you change. Well, how do you change? You change with mussar. The core of greatness is mussar because mussar is taking Torah and integrating it. And this is a critical point here: the great sages, everything they learned, every Torah, every part of the Torah, they use mussar. Something which is totally not related to Torah. Things that don't see. I remember my grandfather, in one of his essays, he writes about Hezek Reiah. Hezek Reiah on the surface should have nothing to do with muster. What's Hezek Reiah? Hezek Re'iyah, Hezek means damage. Re'iyah of sight. Visual damage. What's visual damage? Two neighbors. And one of them has a window looking into the other guy's pool. And there's a hole. Whole set of laws about how neighbors have to take into account the fact that when they build a huge house, they're now causing damage because they could see into someone else's house. That doesn't seem that's that's laws. That's interpersonal laws. And my grandfather turned this into a whole lesson in Musr. And that's what the great sages do. They don't say, let's learn Musr now. Oh, now we're finished with Musur, let's learn Torah. Musr is an attitude that they apply to themselves. Everything they encountered, what can I learn from it, regardless of whether or not it is Musr on the surface or Musr is baked into it? And I want to uh, take this idea and really, and really follow it uh, forward. A couple of weeks ago, we had the episode of the Nazir and the Sota. The Sota is the adulterous woman, and as we know, read the story. She is a suspected adulteress. She's brought, down, she's brought to the temple and she's embarrassed in a humiliating way because she behaved really terribly or at least that is alleged or that is suspected. And after the next section of the Torah, talks about the Nazir. The Nazir is the person who makes a vow to abstain from wine, coming into contact with dead people and cutting his hair for a minimum of 30 days and it could be as long as he makes it. And the Talmud on the very first page of the book of Sota, asks, why are these two sections juxtaposed? And indeed, it's juxtaposed in the Torah, it's also juxtaposed in the Talmud. The book of Nazir really does not belong in the section of Nashim, it belongs in the section of Kachim, it's in the wrong order of the Mishnah, per its subject matter, but it's put next to the book of Sota for this reason. Why? Says the Talmud, Rashi brings it down as well in, in this commentary in the Chumash, Call Haroe Sota Bilt Kula, whomever sees a Sota in her disgrace, Yazir Atzmo Minhayain. He should make himself a Nazir from wine. He should abstain from wine. And this, I think, again, really goes back to what the core of Musr is. You see someone else who committed or may have committed adultery. What do you say? Our tendency is to look at them and say, what a terrible person, what character flaws, what someone who's such so weak-willed, where's the self-control? That's what the, hu- the human tendency is. Yeah. What does the Torah say? No, no, don't cast, you, you, may, you may be able to cast judgment on her, but what's, where do you take the lesson? Where, where's that key to unlock the value? The key to unlock the value is by saying, this could happen to me. How do I grow? How do I prevent the same fate from befalling me? To abstain from wine. To take a take a time period to work on becoming someone who's more holy, more abstained from physicality, and therefore less likely to trip up in this way. And I think it's a total reframing of, of, of what, what, what our natural tendency is. Normally, we like to consider ourselves as being sadikim. We're perfect and everyone else— Everyone who's more religious than us, who's more observant than us, well, they're fanatics. The people who are less religious than us, well, those people are real he- heathens. We're kind of in the sweet spot. And, and that is antithetical to Musser. To say you're in the sweet spot means you don't need to do any work. That's exactly where the Yetzirah wants you to be, to say, I'm good. Musser is to say, no, how can I become even better? Maybe I am good. How do I become even greater? Or maybe I'm not good and I need, and I need to become good. That's what Musa is. Musa is constant growth. Someone says, I'm good. I'm in the sweet spot. I'm in, I'm in the, the Goldilocks zone. Everyone more religious than me, well, they're fanatics. Everyone less religious than me, well, they're heathens. I'm at the sweet spot. That's not growing. If, you, if, you, if you're complacent, if you're happy where you are right now, well, then why would you, Why should you change? You're, you're there. But unless you're Moshe, and you know what? Even Moshe was always constantly growing. Unless you're dead, you, there's always room to grow. Famous line of the famous line of the Mussarites. Every time, so long as the candle's yet burning, so long as our soul is still alive, we could still grow. We can still perfect. That's the attitude of Mussar. And by the way, the Balshemtov of Hasidic origin, he would say a very powerful idea: life is like a mirror. Everything you say is God sending you messages. Everything is a message. What you see is because what God wanted you to see. You see it because God said, I, this is an appropriate lesson for you. And of course, that's with Torah, because all of Torah is for us to see, but it's even in life. And we are used to thinking outwardly, comes to Lord and says, no, think inwardly. What can I learn from this? Everything I encounter can be a lesson. Of course, that's with Torah to imp- impart the lessons of Torah within, but also in life. What can I do? Don't don't judge other people. Say what can I do? That's the last mile, and that is the golden keys of Muslim. Let's talk up, talk about Rabbi Tiva for a second. Rabbi Tiva is one of the most important figures in Jewish history, and the reason why is because he comes and he rises and he emerges at a time where the Jewish people were most vulnerable. They were gone through the destruction of the temple. The rabbis were all hiding underground. The Romans have very strict edicts. The Romans they uh, make rules against Torah study and against observance of Shabbos, Judaism is under assault. Temples destroyed, hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered, and Rabbi Kiva is the one who was able to ensure that Torah is perpetuated, and and indeed the Jewish people will continue on. So Rabbi Kiva, he is one of the vital figures. He he is one of those links that brought Judaism and Torah from God to Moshe all the way to us today. If we didn't have Rabbi Kiva, based upon the history as we know it, it's very likely that we wouldn't be here sitting talking about this because Torah would have been forgotten. And indeed, the Talmud does say that. Talmud Yivama says, if not him, Torah would be forgotten. Now, we know Rabbi Kiva had a sort of inauspicious start to his life. He, the first 40 years of his life, he was in Aramis. He wasn't a Torah, such a Torah scholar. But what happened, says the Avastor of Uh, what's the backstory of Rabbi Kiva's metamorphosis, his transformation into Torah? He was a shepherd, and he took his flock, to the well, to the spring, and he saw something bizarre. He saw a rock with a hole in it. Rocks shouldn't have cylindrical holes in it. So he starts asking it around. And they say to him, well, look, there's actually a little drop of water that's continuously, incessantly hitting that same spot in the rock, and over many, many, many years, and millions and billions of drops of water, it penetrated a hole. And with Rabbi Kiva right away, he says the words that will reverberate throughout the Jewish world for all eternity, Homer. If soft water can penetrate a hard rock, hard Torah can penetrate my soft heart. And he immediately dedicated himself to Torah study, and of course, the rest is history. Rabbi Kiva became the greatest leader of his time and one of the vital links of Torah for all of history. Now, there is a rock somewhere on this planet. That without this rock, we perhaps wouldn't be here. Because this rock was the motivation for Berkeva's inspiration, and he saw the rock, and he was inspired and went to study and became the great Berkeva. So there's this so- there's stone somewhere. Maybe it's around. Maybe it's not around. But there well uh, there's certainly matter that's around. Maybe was the rock destroyed? But where is this rock? How come we don't talk about this rock? It should be in the Jewish Smithsonian. It should be It should be in the Temple Institute. It should be somewhere in a museum. We should be talking about this rock. We should have a name for it at least. Don't you think? This is the rock of Torah. Call it what you want. I don't know. There's a lot of names you can think about it. But why don't we talk about this rock? How come no one talks about this rock? There's this stone that's a foundational stone for, for Torah, for continuity, for Jewish people. Also... Think about what kind of devastation would have happened to us if, if Rebbe didn't see the rock. Almost all of human history hinges on him by chance encountering this rock. How terrifying it would it, would it have been had Rebbe decided that day to go to a different spring? Who knows how history would have been written in that alternative universe? Right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Rabbi Kiva himself had the characteristic of Musar. He was someone who already had the head start to achieve greatness because what was the beginning of Rabbi Kiva? The beginning was that he did self-application. Whatever he encountered, he said, what does it mean for me? How do I become a better person? If he didn't see the rock, he would have seen the, the wood. If he didn't see the wood, he would have seen a bird. He would have seen something, but he was primed. Because he was someone who was seeking to become better. He had the core quality of muster. What do I see? And how does it impact me? And the Almighty will always show someone what they need to see to become great. It was a message, but there's many messages. There's millions of messages to us every day. If we have what Rabbi Tiva had, we'll, we'll learn the messages. Rabbi Kiva had the quality, so it was a stone. But the stone itself is not what changed. It's Rabbi Kiva who's, who's the hero. If it wasn't the stone, it would have been some other message. The stone is not necessary for Jewish history where Beit is. And therefore, the stone is not talked about uh, in, in Jewish history. Everything in Torah, everything, you want to have anything out of it? You need to have this quality of self-application. If you don't have this quality of saying, what can I learn from this? How can I improve from this? What does this mean for me? If you don't have that, if you don't take the lessons to heart... Then even the most powerful inspiration in the world won't do anything. We talk about Musr. We're learning Musr here. We can have the greatest lecturers and the greatest rabbis and the greatest teachers and the greatest analogies and the greatest everything. If you don't take it yourself the last mile and say, Me, what am I going to do about it? It doesn't matter. But you had the lesson, so what? You didn't take it to heart. I want to go back to the um, to the spies you'll notice there's a little bit of a contradiction. Uh, in Rashi, in, in literally within two verses, Rashi seems to contradict himself. The first Rashi, Rashi says, like we mentioned, we read it earlier, these wicked people, they saw, but they didn't take Musar. That's the first Rashi on verse 2. On verse 3, the, the, these people are called Anashim. Anoshim means righteous people. They're righteous. So Rashi says, oh, at that time they were righteous. Well, wait a minute. How could they be both be righteous and wicked? The answer is, indeed, at the time, they are righteous. They haven't sinned yet. But because they didn't take the musr, they're vulnerable to what happens in the future. And therefore, the fact that they didn't take musr that is what they are castigated for. They're castigated not for the sin, but for what is the origin of the sin, and that's the fact that they didn't take Musser. That's where they went wrong. And, 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 I, and I think there's also a risk of, of this half-hearted Musser. And that is, suppose Miriam, well, she's quarantined, and I was like, well, what's going on? Miriam, the Moshe sister, she's a great, great, pious woman, she's quarantined? Well, What happened? And everyone says, well, she spoke negatively about other people, about Moshe. She gossiped. And then what happens next? I like, hey, she gossiped. Let's quickly organize a conference call. Let's get everyone together. Let's learn the laws of, of Chavetz Chaim, of Let's try to guard a tongue. And you know what? That's the appropriate thing to do. And maybe they did that. But real Musr is actually implementing that change. To take the Musser to heart, not to just learn the ideas of Musser, but to create a situation where the Musser impacts us. It, 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 it applies to me, I need to do something, I need to change my behavior. That degree, the real Musser, the real change that can be engendered because of what, Miriam, what happened to Miriam, that they didn't do, and they are considered sin- sinners, uh, wicked people as a result. There is uh, a Mishnah that I like to talk about because it's, you know, the, the Mishnah, our sages of the Mishnah, and when they make a guarantee, your ears should perk up. Because if there's a guarantee, you want to you know what the deal is. And the Mishnah in the chapters of the Fathers, Akavia ben Mahalalel Omer. Akavia, the son of Mahalalel, says, His statel beslosheh examine three things. And you won't sin. What are these three themes? Know from where you came, to where you are going, and before whom you are destined to give a reckoning and an accounting. Know from where you came, from a putrid drop. You're nothing. You're not really you're, you're you're not really substantial if you go back to the primordial roots of you. To where you're going, to a place of dust, worms, and maggots and before whom are you destined to give an accounting and a reckoning before the king of kings the holy one blessed is he it says the mishnah if you look at three things you will not sin that's an amazing guarantee i want to point out it doesn't say if you know three things it's as if you look at three things. It's a really strange thing because you're not looking at these things. You're not looking at the future drop, at the dust and the worms. What does it mean to look at something? To visualize it. it you should say, if you know three things, the answer is no. Knowledge alone, that is great. But everyone knows that the fact where they came from and where they're going to. Everyone knows that. What it means, histakil, to look, to examine, it means to say to internalize it to look to make it visual to make it real and to say if this is real automatically your behavior has to adjust automatically the second you realize the fact that you're here temporarily and you actually realize not that you know it theoretically we all know that a knowledge we all know i ask people if they're gonna die they say yes but when i talk to them at okay what's gonna happen when you're gonna die they don't think about it And I say, well, well, let's talk about it. Your body's going to die. It's going to stop working. And they're going to put you in a morgue. And they're going to bury you. Oh, well, what then? There's going to be little worms creeping through your casket. And they're going to start nibbling and gnawing at your flesh. And worms and maggots. And that's what's going to happen to your body. Look at that. We, we all know that. Yeah, theoretically, we all know it. To look at it and say, I'm, my life as a body is so temporary and it's so fleeting and the end game that we're all looking for is so contemptible. It's so embarrassing. What am I living for? If you look at it and try to t- internalize it, you'll change. I want to end up for the Gemara. The Gemara tells us in the book of Avodah Zarah, it talks about one of the most prolific sinners that history has known. And if you want to look at it, it's the Gemara in Avodah Zarah, page 17a. It's the story of Rabbi Eliezer ben Durdai. dai What I want to pull out from the Gemara is what happened, his legacy. The story goes that he was sinning at rates and in in, in manners that uh, are, you know, are unimaginable to us and, and kind of, he was, he was a connoisseur of sin. And at once, once he had this inspiration amidst a sin that turned over his world. And the Gemara says that he was so moved by this that he started praying he started doing some really interesting things. He started talking to the sun and the moon and the mountains and the stars. And he was saying, Someone help me. Someone help me. And he finally realized, and he said the critical lines Ain Hadavar Tolui Ella B. The only person that can affect this change is me. The only person who can change it is me. And he started crying and repenting, and he died. And the ultimate legacy, the, the, the eulogy of this person, first of all, called Rabbi, a lifelong sinner called Rabbi, which is pretty impressive. But the baskol, the prophetic voice announced, Rabbi ben Dadai is welcomed and ushered into Olam Abba. And when Rabbi Judah the prince heard that, he started crying. It's possible for someone to spend their whole life to get to Olam and other people achieve it in one hour. What is the secret to achieving greatness? Regardless of whether or not that's a greatness that is born out of years or greatness that is born out of one hour. To get Olam means to achieve your purpose in life. How did he do that? What is the critical note that he hit? We could call it Musr we could call it greatness, the way he called it, what can I do? How can I impact myself? How can I change? I think the lesson of Musar, the lesson of uh, of this week's Parsha of, of the spies is to say, where do I fit into this equation? What can I learn from what I encounter? What can I learn from the people I come across, from the individuals and their stories and their happenings? Not to just go to Torah and say, well, let's learn Torah. And they'll try to internalize that. Even beyond that, the greatness is achieved by an attitude change, an attitudinal shift, a paradigm shift, where I say everything I encounter, I want to learn a lesson from it. Even the sins of others, like in the case of the Sota, or the case of Miriam, or even the punishments of others in the case of, of Miriam. Everything I see, it's a mirror for me, and it's an instruction, and it's advice, and it's guidance from God to become a greater person. I hope that uh, we should take this lesson to do something and to commit ourselves to something, and that indeed is the core of Musr, and it is the core of greatness.